Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 13th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them. Then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so line them up. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. Looks like we're... uh, we're getting the team in here right now. Let me see. I'm going to guess that Bruce is on this line. Bruce, is yes, that you? Yes, sir. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. I jumped oh. the gun today. I didn't even I'm, wait for the call screener to put in your name. I just guessed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's on your mind this week? You know, I've got several things. And for those who don't want me to talk about Catalyst, I'm sorry, but this is uh, my opening today is all catalyst and, and one is farm related, but Tom Diak, Osgood, Canada, his wife, Patricia Diak is our catalyst dealer there. And they also have a winter home in central Florida because they ride motorcycles down there. They ride Harleys. So this dump truck of his is a part-time dump truck, Peterbilt, ISX Cummins, 2008. Right now it has 636,817 miles. So you see it's a high idle, wow. low mileage truck. Okay. That was also... In uh, 2020. We haven't, we haven't talked about this in a while, but that was also the years of the ISX. They had all the cam issues, and he's coming up on about yeah. those miles when they started, too. So in Canada, they do a snap test. And in 2020... They did this, they go and do this test, this emissions test, mobile emissions testing. And you're allowed on the opacity, you're allowed 20. In 2020, he was at 8.3, but on the snap of the throttle, he was at 9.2. So he's not bad at 8.3 when you're allowed 20, right? Right, right. Not bad. So now, three years later, running the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst. And by the way, his previous truck was a 6NZ Caterpillar, but his garage caught on fire and he lost his truck. And he loved his Pete with the 6NZ, and he had to buy a new truck with full emissions, first year for DPF, ISX. I mean, he was really upset with the truck. And he listened to our radio show, and he decided to try a gallon of catalyst, and it turned his... Uh, from hating the truck to loving the truck and his wife being in the chemical business of 30 some years, she became a dealer. Nice. And then now let's, let's fast forward now to 2023 on April 25th of 2023, went to the same place, same test, same people. His snap was zero. What? Zero opacity. Zero from nine point two down to zero. Wow! His total opacity is zero. The people at the testing site were blown away because they have the records from three years ago. Wow! So whenever somebody says to me, "I I ran two or three gallons through, I didn't notice any difference," and then I said, "Well, did you look inside the engine? Pull the injector out? 
go in there with the borescope. Well, people aren't going to do that, right? But you could pull the exhaust pipe off, or if it's an EGR engine, you pull off the crossover tube. And if you look before and after, you'll see the engine is definitely getting cleaner. So even if you aren't sensitive enough to feel it in the throttle, and not everybody is, uh, or you don't hear a difference or see a slight increase in fuel mileage or a smoothness of the engine or a slight increase in torque, if you miss all of those, uh, it's still working for you by cleaning. Wow. All right. So there's proof right there. And if anybody wants to see it, uh, Patricia emailed it to us, and I can forward it to anyone that would like to see these two tests. You know, Bruce, I send them to me. I, I want to post them because that's pretty incredible. I did a Twitter space. It's just a different way for, to do the show. You can still listen to it on our app, and it's there just like all the other shows. But it's just a different format that we do the show from. I've been doing them in the afternoons. And last week, my topic was fuel additives and how I've changed my opinion over the years. There was a time where I swore up and down, do not use a fuel additive. I can't find any that are cost effective. And I, what I was talking about was everyday stuff to improve fuel economy is what these things get sold for. I said, right. throw an injector cleaner in once a quarter. That kind of stuff makes sense. But I tested additives over and over and over. I couldn't find a reason to use them in every tank. And you remember when you came to me with the catalyst, I said, Bruce, you're going to have to prove this to me. I, I, I just tried so many additives. This one's different being a catalyst. It, it's different. And I'm always willing to try. And I waited about a year before I actually said, yeah, this stuff really works. But in the the what what the message from the show was, additives can work. Many don't. Many just aren't worth the money. But it's so nuanced. You know, on pre-emission trucks, there might be certain additives we might use depending on what's happening. On newer trucks, if you have soot problems, the catalyst, absolute. And I tell people, look, try the catalyst in anything. See what happens. See what results you get. Because if you're going to get results, you'll get them pretty quick. You're not going to have to do this for a month to see what happens. You can usually see it in a couple tanks. So I have changed. I, I no longer say just skip all the fuel additives, that, but you have to understand what additive to put in what truck for what reason. If you want to feel an instant result, put it in a steel chainsaw. <laughs> and uh, start it, let it idle. Bruce, you said that about chainsaws. I can't find any place on my electric chainsaw to put this catalyst in. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Should I just oil yeah. the chain with it? Would that help? <laughs> some of you, some people like you just have some problems. You know? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> if you had more trees, you wouldn't have battery chainsaw. You are correct. I, so, my, my chainsaw is more it, like a toy. But I used it a lot around, yeah, around the yard, yeah. So start up your, your chainsaw and let it warm up and pull the trigger and see how it accelerates and hold it and see how, you know, the front of the, unless you've got a death grip on it, the front of the blade will come up in the air. And then put catalyst in, let it idle for 25, 30 seconds, and then pull the trigger. You'll see it instantly. It's that fast reacting. Wow. All right. So... Let's continue here. <clears throat> Fella calls us from Utah. He grows hay. And it's very dry in Utah, as everybody knows. 
And did you know, Kevin, that you actually want to, to bale hay when it's a particular humidity, whenever it has so much dew in it? Maybe Al Hemerson can call us and talk about this, too. Al is a farmer from Iowa. But um, Bruce, Bruce, so don't, to don't. combat. That, yeah. You opened up a can of worms here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I don't know the details. I do know that there's a certain moisture content that they want at harvest. Do you know how yeah. some of them get to that moisture content? That's where I'm going right now. Uh, so a company came up with a steamer that's in front of the baler, and it runs diesel fuel to make heat to burn the steam. But the tubes clog from the soot and carbon and they have certain gauges on there they're able to see the efficiency go down so last bailing season a year ago he bought catalyst bought a couple gallon and went through it this year he called us and told us the difference that it makes um, the max mileage keeps the boiler tubes clean creating more steam his name is johnny wright anybody wants his phone number i have it uh, it's a 435 area code and uh, so there we we are making headway into the agricultural industry it's slow because a lot of those people uh, don't really know who we are and go ahead yeah i i was gonna say i like that method of getting to a certain moisture content much better than the one I was going to talk about. That's nice and natural steam. Can't beat that. You know, there's another way they do this on, on certain crops. They actually, you know what Roundup is, right? Yes, I do. The weed killer. It, nasty stuff, really. Yes. They will, days yes. before the harvest, before the harvest, this is food we're going to eat. But days before that, they saturate the entire plant with glyphosate, Roundup to get to it because oh, that boy. works as, a, I believe, a desiccant to get them to a certain level. And farmers, I swear to God, I'm going to get a ton of emails today and calls. That's not true. It never happens. Wait a minute. Let me show you the document right from the manufacturer on how and why you do this. And it does happen a lot. It might not be happening on their farm, but I promise you this happens quite a bit. I think it's disgusting, but that's what they do. Because that's... That's why we really need to spend a little bit more money and buy organic. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that, Kevin. Saturated. I know it's a bad chemical. Day, day, days I before we get to. And you know, yeah. do you know why they can do that? And why they can spray glyphosate all over the fields all season long to kill the weeds? Because the corn and the mostly corn, soy, some others, not a lot of wheat, but... Uh, is all genetically modified, and it's called Roundup Ready corn. You can spray Roundup all over; it doesn't kill it. Kills everything else, but it won't kill that corn. Oh, interesting. I know it's awful. So I you've love learned, you. I, you've learned a lot diving into health. I give you credit; you learned a lot. I I, I and, like uh, this method you, that you're describing, you, where they use steam to get to that moisture content. That's much better. And, you know, it was you and my chiropractor since 1979 who was a vegan, and uh, he's super healthy guy. He's not a vegan now, but very, very healthy man, 75 years old. He can hey. fly into Colorado and ride, ride a bicycle up over Vail Pass. He and you both told me, do not get the COVID shot, and 
it wouldn't have been for the two of you, I would have had it. So there you thank go. you for that. You're welcome. All right. Last thing I have, if you're building a toy truck, let's say you're redoing a 359 Pete, and it's not going to be a work truck, but you need license plates and insurance for it. What state do you feel would be the best state to register that truck in? Uh, so it can get a little tricky depending on residence, but, and there's, believe it or not, there's not a lot of rules about this stuff from state to state. Overall, if somebody's looking for a bet, like a lot of times when I deal with this issue, it's an owner operator and we talk to them about, look, you could live anywhere and do your job. So, and you don't even have to live where you claim your residence is, but you can pick a state Get your residence there, and there's some things you've got to go through to do that. It's not a big deal. There are companies that do it, and then you get the benefits of that state. By far, overall, when you look at taxes, vehicle registration costs, uh, insurance, there's no state income tax, South Dakota, it makes it to the top. If you're trying to figure out where you should put your residence to save as much money as possible, it's South Dakota. Interesting. And there are companies they in South Dakota. Governor up there too. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And and there are companies in South Dakota mm-hmm. that will set this all up for you, and they'll accept your mail and forward it to you, and all kinds of things. But uh, th- that's a place where you can save quite a bit of money, really. Mm-hmm. All right. That was all I have for today. All right. Well, let's uh, let's see. Let's bring the other guys in. Who do we have today? Eric and Leroy. Good morning, guys. And we do have Pete Sharp. We do have Pete Sharp in the office. If you want to say hi to Pete Sharp, absolutely. We'd all love to hear from Pete. Okay. Leroy, Eric. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hello, Kevin. Uh, Leroy, did you just roll out of bed? You sound a little tired this morning. I am a little tired. Today. I could tell. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> What's up? Late night working or? Yeah, late night working. Yeah, kind of figure. I'm drawing a, a, I have the submit a CAD model for this little robot thing I'm making versus cool classes I'm taking. And uh, yeah, trying to learn how to use 3D modeling software is a new thing for me. So it was hey, a late night. Be, be careful with AI or that thing will stab you in your sleep. Oh, don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who wants to go first today? Eric's pointing at me. I think he's being a big, he's a little shy today. Okay, so I'll go first. Okay, you go first. (laughs) I don't have anything real important, but I just wanted to tell you. Just so you guys know, you've got got, uh, something to live up to today. I posted about the show, and I said I would have the Pittsburgh Power Dream Team on. So you got to live up to that today. Pete. Hey, Eric, you got to mention about the 25 buses we're doing? Yep. Yeah, you don't steal my thunder here, Bruce. Yeah, I had nothing. I still got nothing. Uh, local friend of mine, Dave Zanicki, known him for a lot of years. He's worked for a company called Butler Motor Coach. Uh, actually, I just found this out today. He's been here 32 years. It was his first full-time job at age 18, and he still has no plans on retiring and just loves what he does. Um, they, they rent buses, coaches, uh, tour buses, stuff like that. I didn't realize until I was talking to him today 
how much of an impact COVID had with that industry. It's all tourist related. Never really even gave it that much consideration because we don't see that many buses here. Uh, yeah. But they are taking on some outside work, different things going on. One of them is a contract with a gold mine out in Billings, Montana, and they're going to repower slash refurbish 25 MCI coach buses one at a time. They're going to bring them back, check them out. We are going to put them on the dyno, give them a full-blown health report, uh, all the gauges, everything on them to make sure everything's good. And that way they can keep track of their maintenance records for the buses. But this is going to be a long-term project of probably 25 buses over two years, 18 months to 24 months of time. But Bruce and I were talking about it earlier, and one thing I did mention to him was about the Catalyst. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon, too, for a second. You didn't talk to him about the Catalyst? I did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure. And OPS, both of them. Okay. But I didn't realize how much idle time those things have because they run the workers into the gold mine, and then the driver sits in the bus idling all day, and he doesn't really shut it off that much. So there's a lot of build-up carbon and soot in those ones, too, and I think they can really prosper, too. So maybe that's our next new market to tap into is gold mines. <laughs> I mean, like mine itself or well, anything in, in that field, really. I wouldn't mind touring a couple. Yeah. Take home. <laughs> be fun. Yeah. Do some fuel. Yeah. I thought it was pretty neat though. Cause I, I never really gave the buses that much. I mean, out of sight, out of mind type thing. You don't see them every day. You don't realize what different impacts things it, have on different industries. So you're saying that bus took people in and out of the mines? Yeah, the, the miners themselves. They, they look like a tour bus, like, oh, I'm going to go see the cherry blossom <laughs> type of tour bus. <laughs> same bus, just different insides, that's all. Oh, but what was on the inside? That was just filled with seats, just like a regular tour bus. It looks just like a regular tour bus. Why wouldn't they just bus? get like a school bus? Why would they get like a big fancy tour bus? I think if you have a gold mine, you probably have a little bit more collateral to work with and ride an old all right. bus. And I would think it'd be a little nicer of a ride and it may be a longer drive too. Like, you know, some of these guys have a longer commute. May they may have to park off site miles and miles away. I, I don't know. I don't know how far these mines are away from their parking zones. Nifty. Yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. So I just was thinking about, you know, you you're looking at, you know, this mining gold mining specifically as a new market for the catalyst. And that makes a ton of sense. Some of these markets will need the catalyst even more than we do. Because what you just talked about there, it's a whole different duty cycle. They're being idled a lot. They don't get up to, you know, operating temperature for hours and hours every day, like an over-the-road truck does. But uh, just to play around with it, because I'm working on a show about AI, uh, I asked AI, what industries use heavy-duty engines? It's kind of interesting. Obviously, transportation and trucking was number one. Construction and mining was number two. Agriculture and farming marine industry, power generation, uh, oil and gas, and emergency response. There's your markets. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Nifty. <laughs> Nifty. What do you have, Leroy? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to answer a question that um, Brian Bechtel posted on Trucking Tribe. I really love when people post questions on there so we can talk about on the show sort of in long form. Yeah. I and like his question, about soft crews and droop and the difference between VSG and LSG droop and does it save fuel? So that's a lot of acronyms right off the bat, right? Better clarify. <laughs> I don't know. Those. Do you do you know what LSG VSG is? Anybody know what those are? I, nope. I, I was thinking maybe like sixty buying for drugs, but 
That's LSD. Uh, yeah, that's right. Got it. I was just hoping it's not ESG. We'll skip What's that. ESG? I know what MSG is. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on cardboard. It's, <laughs> makes it's, it taste great. It's, it's toxic for your brain, but we'll skip that for now. Uh, yeah, well, that's another show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he's specifically talking about uh, his 12.7. And VSG stands for Variable Speed Governor, which is the governor or how the ECM controls high idle, bump idle, and cruise control, right? So if, you, if you're sitting there and you want to bump up the idle, you're basically telling the ECM, I want 1,300 RPM. And the ECM will do what it has to to make the engine idle at 1,300. Variable speed governor. Cat pedals work a lot like this, too. They're not like a torque control pedal. We always say, ask people if they want their ECM set up like a cat pedal. I guess they're easier, more easier to shift, more fun to drive, something like that. I don't know. But um, those pedals are RPM requests. So if you hold your foot like halfway down, that's like 1500 RPM. It doesn't matter if you're climbing a hill, you know, a 12% grade or you're going downhill, it's going to ask for 1500 RPM. So you can, with a cat, you can go up a 12% grade at half throttle and it's going to only can it's going to command 1500 RPM and that's it, right? So it'll go full load, full load at 1500. The other part of his question was about LSG. So LSG in the 60 series is limiting speed governor. And that's sort of your um, idle governor and your high speed governor. So like what RPM does it idle at? And what does, what is the full RPM 2120, etc. Right. So that's those two terms out of the way. The next part of it was about droop. So there's two terms that go with VSG and LSG and it's droop and overrun. And it kind of is just how it sounds. Droop, RPM droop is how much RPM can it fall below what you set it at, right? So if you have a variable speed governor and you set it at 1500 RPM, ECM is controlling the ECM. It wants 1500 RPM. If the droop is hundred RPM, that means that the engine RPM can fall to 1400 before it starts to really try to get back to 15. If you set it to 200 RPM, it can fall from 15 to 13, and then it tries to pull its way back up. Now, it doesn't wait until 1300 RPM before it tries to pull back up. It'll try to do it as it's falling. And that's the idea behind soft cruise on a cat. They call it soft cruise and hard cruise. And pretty much what those two terms mean is it just, the soft cruise is widening the droop, allowing the RPMs to, or the vehicle speed to fall during cruise control or go over. I think on cats, on soft cruise, it's five miles per hour. So if you set the cruise control at 60, soft cruise will allow it to fall to 55 and then go all the way up to 65. Now this can save you fuel, obviously, because if you start to climb a hill at 60, it's going to let the vehicle speed fall a little bit and it's not going to just try to go full throttle, you know, just to try to keep up with 60 miles an hour. It'll let it fall. And the other nice thing is if it goes five miles over or the overrun goes five over, when you come down on the other side, you can get up to 65 miles an hour. So you get a little bit of momentum for the next hill. Because hmm. what you don't want is it just the whole full throttle the whole way up the hill trying to do 60. And now the other side, it slams on the jakes just trying to keep 60 the whole way down. So trying to, you know, you can go up the hill a little bit slower and then build momentum on the other side. So Cat put that all in a nice little package called soft cruise. Hard cruise is, I think, two miles per hour below and above. So obviously you can see how, like, if you, a trailer, 80,000, 100,000 pounds, 
dropping two miles an hour is basically, you know, that's going to happen. Yeah. And cruise control is just going to want to floor it. And that's going to be more like a light switch, too. It's like right. on off. And I, I've driven a couple of cars before that have been like that. And it's like, wow, this thing sucks. Right. So we, they package it up in a nice package, like I was saying, called soft cruise. Now, all the other manufacturers, they give it big acronyms or small acronyms like LSG, VSG, Droop. They have all these fancy words. I don't know why more manufacturers just don't try to make it easy. I think they just like big terms. So if you wanted to make your cruise control, whether it's on a 60 series, a, you know, a DD15, ISX, et cetera, you're going to look for the word droop and overrun. And you want to set those pretty high if you're going for fuel economy. Now, the, the flip side of it, because it all sounds great so far, is the engine does respond slower. So if you set it at, let's say, something extreme like eight miles an hour, you know, the the governor, as the RPM start to fall, it's like, oh, I got like four miles an hour left before I have to really kick in. So, ah, I'm going to start to think about adding fuel. Well, if it's a pretty steep hill, you might lose it completely. You know, the RPMs fall too much, then you have to downshift and, you know, that's not good. So there's a trade-off between, you know, how far you can let it drop and then like sort of losing power. Does that make sense? It does. Now, do we have capabilities to do this basically on all ECMs or what can and can't we do to them too? Yeah, all, all the ones that we work on, they all give you that ability to adjust that. They're all called different things. But, I mean, sort of the soft cruise idea is available on most things. It's just a matter of just setting it up. But, yeah, I think that's everything I've seen on you can do it. And one thing I did want to mention too, you had mentioned, I don't know if some of our viewers or listeners, sorry, aren't. <laughs> we used the TV, you know, the celebrity life. Uh, uh, you were on one show <laughs> one time for five minutes. <laughs> Don't steal my thunder. So you know, one of the things we can do, though, is set the Cummins throttle pedal to respond more to a Caterpillar. Um, some of you guys may have caught that. Some of you didn't. Just to clarify that, we can set the, the differences on them. Because some guys come out at older cats, are buying newer trucks, and they, they go to a Cummins, and they're like, well, I like the truck. I really like the Jakes. But, man, I just wish I had that pedal of a cat. We can manipulate that through the tuning. Yeah, that, so that's what I was starting to say because – most engines besides cats use like an automotive governor, an LSG, uh, what, what's the other word for it? They're all the same thing. Or, or um, automotive. Did I say automotive? I did say Yes, that. you did. But they're all torque control pedals. There's, there's mapping inside the ECM that says, at this pedal percentage, I want this much torque. At, you know, full throttle, I want, you know, the full torque and this and that. And how you scale that can really change the way that the pedal feels. Do you want it to be linear? Do you want it to be sort of exponential? Do you want it to be logarithmic? Like, how do you want the pedal to come in? And different people have different, you know, preferences to how they want that to feel. And I think the cat pedal or that sort of variable speed governor idea is sort of like the equalizer of all that. Because you have a full range pedal where your foot's not on it, it's idle your foot's all the way down, it's the high-speed governor. It's 2,100 RPM, 2,300, whatever yours is rated at. So wherever your foot is in between, you know, that's what RPM it's requesting. So I guess that would be probably be easier to shift, you know, if you're waiting for like a certain um, RPM drop. You can just like, oh, I just need to give my foot a little bit more RPM, you know, to tack it up. But, And I think even in the post from Brian Bechtel, he said that he changed some VSG settings around and he says, I liked how it calmed it down, but I just didn't like the power that I gave up. So that's just sort of verifies, you know, it's, there is a trade-off. There is a trade-off to response and actual fuel mileage. So 
depends on what you want. And I guess the last part of his question was, does it save fuel? Yes, it saves fuel having a having a soft cruise. I don't know how much. I don't have a number on it, but I know that it does. All right. Interesting. That's a topic we don't talk about much ever, I think. That's a new one. Yeah, I don't think we've ever talked about um, <laughs> droops and no. variable speed governors and stuff. But, you, I mean, the, the idea of soft cruise is something that we talk about a lot. Hey, hey, you know, I was just thinking about something. I think about 90% of our audience is male. We should probably avoid the word droop. Can we come up with something else? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> what else do we have today? Um, I need to give a shout out to Howdy, Paul from Oklahoma. Um, Paul, if you're listening, which oh, I'm assuming. Paul, Paul's always listening. <laughs> assuming he's, he's in queue probably. He's number one caller. Howdy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't. No, oh, I, I, I'll have to correct you. He's number two. He is there, though. No. Okay. You, you know what? <laughs> let's just Let's just move him to the front of the line and bring him in right now. You're hey, number one with me, hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Yeah, I'll put Howdy. Yeah, quite often I get the number one salute. It's uh, not the first time. So, I think it's just call you back, buddy. That's all right. I knew you'd be busy. So, um, so I, I I have a catalyst Dorothy story, and then I have a question after. So on Sunday, I I've been running the catalyst for about half a million miles. So on Saturday, uh, Sunday. I decided I haven't looked at Dorothy for a while. I'm not sure it's 50 or 75,000 miles. So I pulled the, undone the clamp and pulled the the bowl off. And the amount of soot that was in there would have fit in a teaspoon. Whereas when I first started using it, I used to fill a six-inch pie dish every 25,000 miles. <laughs> Let me explain for the people who yep. aren't aware of what you're talking about, because we haven't talked about a Dorothy in a long time, because... We kind of figured out the catalyst was a much easier solution for the same problem, and what you're seeing kind of proves that. Yeah. We knew that soot was killing these engines. That soot is just awful for everything, the all the systems and sensors and all that. So we, yeah, Pittsburgh Power has developed several things. I remember the clean-out was, was the first solution. Let's just go in and take everything apart and clean it, and that helped a lot. And yeah. then... The Dorothy came along, which is basically like a spinner, almost. It's kind of similar to uh, like an oil spinner, a centrifuge, and it spins the soot out of the Airstream and collects it in that bowl you're talking about. This was an aftermarket product developed at Pittsburgh Power, so you're not going to find it anywhere else. Uh, And in the beginning, like you said, you were pulling tons of soot out with the Dorothy, now yep. that you're using the catalyst, you don't need to. That that was such a great test to see the soot that came out in the Dorothy. We could physically see it. And then to be able to put yep. the catalyst in and have that disappear. I, I, that was just an awesome way to prove this stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's, just about, it's real easy to check because a 7 wrench or socket, and you undo the clamp and you pull the bowl off, and there it is right there. Yeah. So, but... But uh, so that little bit of soot that had been spinning around in the bottom, and this is the first time I've seen this, so I believe it's getting cleaner and cleaner as even as after half a million miles, because the bottom of the bowl is a uh, is polished stainless steel now. It's shiny like mirror finish on oh. the bottom of the bowl. 
Oh, well, soot soot is very abrasive. That's why we don't want it in our engine. Yeah, well, just that little bit. But I'm not sure it's 50,000 miles or 75,000 that it's been spinning around in there. But the bottom of the bowl is highly polished now. That's interesting. I can use it to shave it. One of the reasons we don't see more problems like cylinder polishing and that kind of stuff, even with sooty engines, you don't see it a lot, is because the oil itself is designed to disperse that soot so it can't clump and conglomerate and then cause that issue. Our oils keep soot apart. So that it, so that's why we watch soot. At a certain point, the engine will no longer be able to do that. If there's too much soot in that oil, the engine can't do that, and then it will start polishing parts. So that's why we monitor soot in the oil. Yeah. So the question I have is: Yesterday, I'm trucking along, going down through Dallas, and I get a check engine light pops up, and I thought, I bet it's. SBN 1387, low voltage. So, you know, I check all the gauges, everything's good, and it's like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just keep on going until I stop and get fuel. So I pull into Fairfield, Texas to get fuel. So first thing I do is bring up on the diagnostic is the, the code, and it's sure enough, 1387 is there, but there's another one, SBN 100, FMI 3. And it's like, never seen that one before. So I Googled it, and it says oil pressure. So I look at the oil pressure and it's like, well, I got oil pressure, so I don't know, maybe the sensor's bad, low voltage, bad sensor. So I'm pumping fuel and I hop in and then I look at my oil pressure gauge and it says zero. Well, it's not zero, but it was reading zero. So I turned the truck off and I plugged in the scan gauge, unplugged the e-log, plugged in the scan gauge and then started up again and it's showing 20.5 at idle. So I rev it up to 1,200 RPM and nothing happens. It don't change. And it's like, that's weird. And then I'm looking at the scan gauge, looking at the gauge on the dashboard, and they're about, both about the same. And then all of a sudden, the needle goes right around to 100, and on the scan gauge, it goes to 99. And it's like, yeah, the the uh, the sensor's obviously bad. So I kept on trucking. At the moment, it's reading zero, but it'll come back to life any minute now, probably, and it might read 50 or 100. So I guess I need to replace the sensor. Sounds like it. Yeah, I agree. That's a or sensor wiring. So Yeah. So is 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 that easy to do or is I need some smarter help than me? <laughs> to put the sensor in? I don't think so. It's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward, Paul. What 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 sort of money are they talking for a sensor? Arm and a leg or first mm-hmm. and a little less than a lot? Yeah, I wouldn't say a full arm, but no leg. Maybe like two or three digits. Yeah, okay. it'd be. It, I, I bet it's between. If I had to guess, I would say probably two hundred ish, give or take. You think so? Two hundred. Okay. <laughs> I'll ask the Google gods see what they have to say. <laughs> okay, I will try to look it up here too for you. That's all right. So, so, but I, I did instead of having the talking about droop and I still don't get all that other stuff. Is, well, is, is that like a, a drinking sort of you know? thing i i don't know what that is yeah so but uh, my my old caterpillar the c16 that you guys built years ago i think that had a viagra tune in it (laughs) Uh, okay so does that help now does that help now (laughs) i'm glad because the next step was i was gonna have to start drawing animations on my dry erase board for him to get up with it 
Yeah, that would be bad. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad to raise your Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got it figured out. Thanks, Paul, for clarifying for us. I got yeah. you now. <laughs> You're a real stand-up guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh. So, right, that's all I got today. That, that's I'll all we on. need. Yeah, that's all we need. Have a nice day. Yeah. Let's uh, let's next go to text. Yeah, next next uh, phone lines are open. By the way, we've chased everybody away with all the talk of Droop and Viagra, and they thought they they thought they tuned into the wrong power hour. But uh, I trust me, this is still about trucks here. So pick up the phone and join us. Let's go to Texas, Jeff. Welcome like- to the program. Hey, good morning. Um, I got two questions. I know I told Lisa why I had had the one but i can't one came to my mind while i was on hold so i hope you don't mind but um the first I, question is catalyst go ahead i was just gonna say um it probably wasn't lisa i'm pretty sure she's busy at the warehouse today well whoever i talked to yeah, i'm sorry that uh, call screener that's fine we, yeah, we actually whoever. rotate a few in and out it's morgan or angie or okay. yeah okay. yeah okay so catalyst i've been listening to you for a long time um I just recently refound you on this app. The catalyst, you guys are going to laugh at me. I live in Pittsburgh, okay? okay? But I don't get there very often. I pretty much live in my truck and go home about once every six months. Can you buy it at retail in a store somewhere, anywhere in the country? Absolutely. If you get on our website, uh, PittsburghPower.com, you can click on our dealer map, and it'll show you all the retailers across all North America that stock the catalyst. If you get anywhere okay, near Pittsburgh Port- Power. if you get anywhere near Portland, you can stop into our warehouse and pick it up there. Um, plus, you can get all kinds of great food. So, cool, cool. Well, that, I appreciate that. The second question. This is kind of a weird one. So follow me. My, I, I, I'm in a Peterbilt 579. ISX. This isn't an engine question, but I, I just what, wonder what, what you think about this. Go ahead. What year? 2022. Okay. Um, every time it rains, it's like it did it this morning. I'm in Texas. It's raining here. Um, I get this. It could be It could be anywhere. It, it may not rain for a week, and then when it rains again, I get this message on my desk and a, a beeping sound that says, and it says there, the words come up on the dash. It says, drain water from only when it, it stops saying, no idea why it does it. I don't know if the sensor is overactive or if it's, or if there's actually water getting in the fuel when it rains. I don't know how that would happen, but that's my question. Uh, when you get done fueling, put those caps back on. That'll keep the rain I out do. Of there. Okay. I do. Just check it. <laughs> There is a water in fuel sensor, and you said this is a 2022 Peterbilt, correct? Yes, yes. So this has the pack car or the pack car style Davco fuel filter. Is this the tall, skinny glass bowl, or is this a short, round one? Boy, that's a good question. I haven't looked at the sucker in a long time. I got this truck in January, and I was a mechanic when this first time this happened because I thought I really had water fuel, but I don't remember. I haven't even looked at that thing in a long time. Time, time it rains, I get this thing. It's just annoying is what it is. The truck doesn't shut down. The truck doesn't say, oh, you've got to shut the engine off. It just does it when it rains. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I wonder if it's that water and fuel sensor. Could Well, yeah, that's where it's getting it from. But I wonder if yeah. there's a... 
Mm. Whether there's actually water in the fuel or not, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't buy cheap fuel typically. I mean, I I do. I look for cheaper fuel, but I don't. I buy at a pretty reputable place. You know what I it mean? It doesn't like, matter. I mean, what you could Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I was just going to say fuel is all over the board. The quality coming out of the refineries, everybody gets in a local area. All the truck stops, for the most part, get their fuel from the same refinery. Then they have their own additive packages. But but the real key here is, are they taking care of their tanks? And you can't even count on a national chain to be consistent about that. You get a local manager who isn't on top of it. Most of our fuel problems will come from the storage of it at the truck stop. So it's impossible if, to if know wanna... who, unless you've been able to really, really prove one specific truck stop. And then that could change. So you just can't count on fuel quality being anything, no matter where you're buying it. Okay. Well, well it comes to mind is if you think it's, it's something externally it's not getting in the fuel then you can just pop your hood with the engine running and then just spray the the davco or whatever off with the garden hose and see if there's water getting in the wiring or there's water getting into the sensor somehow that it's cracked or something just spray yeah. it off and see if it kicked it on that was my thought that's if the sensor is cracked maybe the moisture is getting in that way the, uh, that's a good thought i never thought would um with that fuel scent or the water sensor i'm not sure how it works would it sense coolant as water I, if you're asking me, I have no clue. <laughs> I, I, I don't know either, uh, Leroy. I, I don't think that it would, but I, I don't know. It's I mean, definitely not designed for that because I don't know how coolant would ever get down there. I guess unless it. No, see, that's where I was going at. Some of these DAVCOs and these other fuel components are heated, and they're heated with coolant. Yes. That is a cross contamination point for coolant and fuel. Yeah. They have that New England package we just learned about last week from Cape Cod Joe. Cape Cod you. <laughs> they run a, a heated DAVCO style in there, but that has the water and fuel sensor. And I'm wondering if the sensor body itself has a crack or fracture in it driving down the road if the water isn't spraying off the tires and getting in there. And yeah, I mean, you can test, like I said, spray with a hose. Yeah. That, that verifies the wiring and everything on the outside. And then now you're just looking to see if it's something internal, whether it's coolant or water in the fuel or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to take you the direction which way to go. Yeah, well, I I, I appreciate it. So weird. It only does it when it rains. It really only when it rains out then. Then it just goes away when it you know. Yeah, stops. just that's crazy. That's pretty off. You know, we we had this. All right, well, I, we. We had this issue on Cobra helicopters in the Army. You couldn't fly. Um, it had to be visual only. You couldn't fly by the gauges in a $10 million helicopter. But we just would watch the weather, and if it was going to rain, we would just take the day off. You should try that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought of that. I was like, every time I see rain, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to deal with this sensor all day. Yeah. You know? But, yeah. Like, I appreciate the info, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Let's go to California this time. Ray, welcome to the program. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for the Cummins experts. All right. Go ahead, Eric. You there? Okay. Uh, I'm between 70% buying a Volvo or our company and 30% uh, buying a truck with a Cummins in it, uh, Kenworth. Uh, got some pretty unique specs actually for Cummins that you usually don't see, but uh, got them down on the spec sheet to put a 228 rear end 
with a 450 or a 500 X15 efficiency series. What the experts think about that? Will that hold up or? We'd have to run some calculations on where you're going to spend time, speed, and RPM wise. You got to watch taking that ISX down too low or the X15, the bottom end. Correct. Won't hold up to it. The, you're, it just doesn't want to run down there all that well anyway. So uh, 228s, what, somebody have a calculator up? Can we run the, I don't have mine up. I've got some spec sheets off the, it's the EN Endurance 12 speed. So it tells me, you know, I've got it all broke down in their what's, spreadsheet of what. What's the final ratio? So that's a 7.77. Point, so somebody run 0.77 at what's your cruise speed usually? You know, I ride in Utah to L.A., so uh, sometimes I have to do 75, and when I'm in California, I do uh, 60. At 60. And I'm right one way and heavy the other. At 60, you're going to be indirect for sure. Um, and that's what I was concerned about. As Joe's talked to me, or I've talked to Joe quite a bit, and that was one of his concerns of being indirect so much. What size tires are you running? Uh, the spec sheet is the 22.5 Low Pro. Okay, so it's a 41.4 diameter. You might be okay at 75. I mean, that actually may pencil out yeah. well at those speeds. Get an RP. What transmission? The Endurance. It's the EN uh, Endurance 12, 12 speed. speed. With a .77 okay. final. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine. He'll be yeah. in direct most all the time. Even at 75, he may be in direct. I, I'm not sure. It's, it's possible. Um, It says on here, if I can find the right thing, it tells me my speed that says I'll be in at at the point seven seven twelve, it says I could be in direct from, well, it says 40 to almost 80 miles an hour, and then it says, or in 12th year, direct has it, you know, between 438 and 60. Yeah. And you said it was a 228 gear? 228, yeah. A what? Okay, 228 rear gear ratio at 1,400 RPM in direct drive, you'd be at 75 mile per hour. Oh, that's, that's not bad uh, at all for that. No, now, did you say that was direct or top? That is direct, one-to-one -one ratio. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, point, boy. Point seven, overdrive. Yeah, point, <laughs> point seven seven, you're hauling the mail. 98.26 mile per hour. Yeah. Yeah, you just but lost so, gear. <laughs> what we want to do, though, is use that overdrive gear when we can to just get the RPM way down. But we just have to be careful on the ISX. Correct. How we just don't want to go too low on that one. Well, they're at uh, 950. They're at 1850 torque if you do the efficient series. I'd worry about 950 on that engine. I wouldn't run at that. Yeah. 11, 1100, probably. So what do you think uh, going to, like, 253 maybe i don't know that i i wouldn't I don't, I don't know that i wouldn't go with this i think this may be your best option based on the fact that you do need to run 70 and 75 sometimes so if we go to 253s now when you try to get up to that speed 
We might be too high in the RPM to be as efficient as we want to be. So, but then you're going to run 60. So we are going to spend time in direct. I don't know. This sounds like it might be the right number. 253 looks yeah. good if you're going to run it at 60. Because a 253 right. gear at 1,250 RPM in direct drive is 60.88 mile per hour. Where are we at 75 now, though? I think we're going to be up over 1,500, and we really don't want to do that. I think he said more around 11, but I don't have that. Oh, 11? When I talk to at 75? With 253s? You mean at 253s? But I'm at 264 right now, and I run Wait. at 1310 at a 264. you got to make sure you're looking at the same final gear in the transmission, too. Correct. And this was just a conversation with the Cummins uh, engineer that I have to meet with on Friday because I've got lots of questions for him. Yeah. 1250 RPM in overdrive, you're 0.77. With a 253 gear, you'd be at 79 mile per hour. At what RPM? So, twelve hundred and fifty. Oh well, that's not bad then. So, what is that again at seventy-five in twelfth gear? Twelfth uh, is your overdrive on that one. Yeah, point seven yep. seven. That would be seventy-five. I think your RPM might be a little bit too low. This is kind of a weird calculator I'm using. It's not really giving me exactly what I want. <laughs> uh, so, your seventy-five, you'd be at twelve hundred RPM. Which okay. is fine. You should just and like that. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with yeah, that with at all. Yeah, two sixty fours. I have two sixty fours. I'm at thirteen ten at seventy five. What about a two forty seven? Well, here's here's what I could tell you: the two twenty eight could work, the two fifty three could work. So anything in between would be fine as well. I, I don't know if we're going to get down okay. to the exact what's going to be better. Sometimes it's going to depend on which one you're going to spend more time in, 60 or 75. So we're, we're down to the nuance now, but it's going to be somewhere between those two. Or it seems like either one of them could work. Again, it depends on how much time you're going to spend at either speed. I, I spend 50-50 almost exactly yeah, in both. So again, it, somewhere in this range is going to be fine. It's going to be hard to pinpoint. You know, one of the things we haven't done nearly as much with the ISX as we've done with other engines is really get down to the nitty gritty on where we want to run it. Uh, most of these, mm-hmm. most of the ISX on the road are specs so bad, we can't use them as an example. So we're, we're in that range somewhere. You're close, but I think it's going to be hard to say this is the absolute best ratio on this one. So probably ask the Cummins expert uh, uh, I, how I, low I can. Uh, I, I would say I wouldn't want to run that engine much under eleven hundred. Uh huh. Now you might. I agree. You might sneak under that once in a while when you're really light and you're not putting a lot of strain on the engine. That would be fine. But you don't want to be under 1100 when you're pulling a load and really working that thing. Mm-hmm. What What about your uh, fillings between a 450 and a 500 on that efficient series? The, the concern I have is you only at third. You, I'd only get up to 400, so you don't use. You waste a lot of horsepower that I'll never see. Did that make sense? I I don't know. Did it say that again? So so it's at uh, fourteen hundred with a four fifty at fourteen hundred, I would only be at four oh nine on the horsepower. You know how Cummins has their horsepower really high up in the RPM. So 
would it be better to go with the 500 and have a little more horsepower down low? Well, does it? I'm not looking at the horsepower and torque curve. I don't know that the 500 has more horsepower down low. I mean, it, the thing it does, is, but not much. You could go with either one, and we can tune it right. in post to whatever you kind of want. Yeah, that, that's, the torque is what I'm more. Yeah, that that's the better answer is is tune it anyway. So, if it were me, I would get the cheaper. If there was one that has like a price tag more, than <laughs> there, the other, you, there you I go. Would get the cheaper one. Yeah, exactly. Because what the end result is going to be the same regardless of where you're starting out, four fifty or five hundred. Right. I would do that a lot with track where like uh, ag equipment they would pay, make you pay a premium for like the 600 horsepower version. It'd be like another 10, 15,000. And guys would be like, I'm just buying the 500 version then just tuning them and yep. saving myself yep. thousands of dollars. They, they so. do charge you more if you go to the performance instead of the efficiency. I know that. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't worry about the torque curve as is because we can set that up however you want in post. But okay. I mean, uh, I, I think if it were me, or is your goal just fuel mileage or are you just looking for a balance? I'm looking for fuel mileage, but I do have some, of course, big hills out here. So I don't mind being up a little slower than everyone else, but I don't are want they, to get left behind. <laughs> are they both the same torque? Are they both like 1650? Yeah, they're both 1850. They're both 1850. You can get a 450 1850? Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's something um, new, I think, with them. Because yeah, you can only get a 17 or Yeah, if you're me in your situation, I'd probably just get the 450 anyways, especially if you're okay. just, mileage yeah that's 90 percent of it and i mean i even looked but they really don't push the, the 12 liter so yeah and i don't know if that would hold up or not what what engine speed is at 1850 yet that i'd have to find it might be like 100 like uh no it's in a and so if it was at 1100, that means it's like 390 horsepower at 1100 RPM. And so basically yeah, your can... torque curve throughout the entire operating range is almost the same. Because if at the very bottom, it's like 390 and at the top, it's 450, you know, you have so a what, what? difference throughout the whole range. So I've got charts for like all the RPMs, gross torque, net torque, and net horsepower. What RPMs were you saying? Um, for, well, my question was the 1850, what is that rated at? Is that 1850 at 1100? Is that 1850 at a thousand? Uh, I think it's on the, that setup, I believe it's, I know it's 1850 at 950, 950 RPMs. At 950. It's at 850 on the torque. 692 on the net torque horsepower at 950 would be 306. Yeah, that at the 450, it's going to feel very linear throughout the whole RPM band. It's not going to feel like lower RPMs pull better than higher RPMs. A 500 mm-hmm. is going to feel like you're going to need to tack the engine up in order to get any power out of this, what it's going to feel like. But kind of when you have okay. no power all over, you know, or it's just fairly flat, then it's going to pull the same throughout the whole RPM range versus the yeah, 500. You want to tack it up all the time. At 1300, I'd be at 1800 torque and 409 on the horsepower. Right. That's about as high as I'll get on the RPMs. Yeah, I mean, if you're well, if you don't plan backing up, I'll go to the 450. Okay. Well, we can tune it too. So uh, thanks right. for all your help, and I, I'm loving to learn all this stuff. That's the fun part. <laughs> well, we have fun doing it. Good. Well, thanks, guys. Thank all right. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's go to 
South Dakota. Wayne, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon or morning in my part of the world. What's on your mind today? Uh, I'm at uh, max mileage. I went through a car checkup in California, and they couldn't believe how clean the truck was running for being a 1680 uh, DD15 and a Western Star. They said it was the cleanest they've ever seen uh, an emissions check on this truck. And I've been running that max mileage for about uh, about a half million miles. Well, how about that? We appreciate that, and thanks for reporting that back to us. Yeah, and uh, my buddy just went in and had to put a one box in his truck. I did mine a year ago, and his price on his one box and doing his one box just within a year doubled in price. So putting the max mileage in there would save a lot more money now compared to just even a year ago to save your one boxes and your mission system. Wow. That's, that's right. You, you know, it's a it's a penny a mile to use it, but the savings is five to six cents a mile. And some people say, well, when do I see the five or six cents a mile? You see it every day you're driving it because it's keeping you out of the shop. It's keeping your emissions working, keeping the truck clean. Yeah, and I was running with a gentleman yesterday, and he has, uh, uh, has a Peterbilt with a pack car motor in it. And he kept getting codes. So I treated his tanks for him. And about an hour after I treated the tanks, all of his codes disappeared on, on what he was having permission codes and everything else. And he automatically, he ordered some max mileage. He says, man, if this is going to save me money like that, I need it. It took one hour to clear the codes, right? One hour. That's amazing. Really amazing. And, and Leroy, I, last week we were, we were talking about the fire trucks. One fire company down in North Carolina spent $47,000 this year on two fire trucks with emission problems. Yep, yep sir. And the guy, oh, hey, the guy from, uh, works for the fire departments in Chicago, he, he said they have a truck down every day with emission problems. He was supposed to call me after the show last week. If you're listening, I'd like you to call me so we can get together and I can come to Chicago and we can treat these fire trucks just like this gentleman did. And an hour later, they'll see the problems are gone. Uh, Leroy, I really feel your pain on the wiring on these on these Western Stars because I've been chasing wiring problems. The light wiring area up there, replace the wiring harness up there. That's multiple color. The next one it plugs into is all one color. Then you go to the next connection, and it changes colors again. Yep. Yeah, I really like how they're supposed to like label the wires, but then whatever machine that they use to label it, I don't know if it's a G, a 6, a B, I have no idea what it is. But the schematic says I'm looking for wire 140G, but I see 12B. <laughs> it's the, the label machine on those, just it's terrible to trace wires through those. And, and, and I'll tell anyone that's got one of these DD15s, if you don't think, if you think it's kind of a dog wagon, get with Leroy, have him tune it. Because he did mine, I was getting ready to get rid of this truck. And besides the wiring issues I'm dealing with right now, I love the way it pulls and runs down the road. It will, you'll make, they'll make you a believer in the tune. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> but that's all I have for you, gentlemen. You have a great day. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Thank you. We're gonna 
roll on into, let me get rid of that call first, Iowa. Ken, welcome to the program. Oh, go ahead. There you are. You're there now. Ken? Go ahead. Ken, going once. Let me put you, hey, is anybody hearing me? Better make sure everybody can hear me. Yeah, we hear you. Okay. All right. I'm going to put Ken back in the queue then and see why. Oh, hold on. I just hit the button as you were saying that. Let me bring you back and see if we've got you now. Boy, the system's slow. Uh, Ken, try that again. Hello? There you go. Hello. Hello. What's on your mind today? Yep. Got me? We do. Can you hear me now? Okay, good. Uh, Just, just, uh, what a challenge with technology. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had had several uh, just comments on what I've been hearing here. A fellow just called in with his water in fuel, had that problem on my Kenworth. The connector gets water in it. You take it out, shake it out, little WD-40, put it back together. You run down the road. There is no water in the fuel. It's It's a connector thing. Every time it rained, every time the truck got washed, light come on. Water in fuel. So there is none. Got it. And uh, uh, oil samples from last week, they were saying about the time for oil sample. This week, I sent one in on Tuesday, had results yesterday. Wow. Uh, Okay. So they're a day or two behind what we used to get when, you know, but still not bad. Certainly not three weeks. I had never heard that from anybody. Now, now I said, yep. Yeah. Dropped it off at uh, FedEx on Tuesday. Yesterday I had results. The uh, only thing that showed up was a 4.0 on fuel dilution at 30,000 miles on the uh, sample. Uh, yeah, not enough you know. to worry about yet. What was uh, viscosity? At, uh, 14? Oh, yeah. I think nothing. the first sample was 13. This one was 14. Nothing to worry about then. And that's uh, uh, 15. 15W40 oil in it. Uh, and then uh, your first call, Paul, today. My N14 had the same thing. Key on, engine off, 100 PSI on the scan gauge. So, sensor was bad. And they run anywhere from 40 to $250 on eBay and uh, Amazon. Um, and my dash gauge is mechanical, so I always know what my oil pressure is even if that thing fails again. Yeah. And kept the old, and, gauge is great. Yep. And kept the old, the old sensor in case it fails and says it's zero and wants to shut the engine down. We'll just plug the old one in at a hundred PSI and drive on. Mm-hmm. Now that's uh that was about it. My only comments, just stuff in the past. And today I heard, so I'll go back to monitoring the channel. Got it. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for the fe- all right. Thanks for the feedback. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome. Hey, hey, Kevin. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Um, I got two. The first one would be for Bruce, and if it's a little too much on the personal side, I that's fine. I'm just wondering, is Pete okay? Pete Sharp. He's uh, he's in the office today. And things are looking good for Pete. All right, we haven't heard from him for a long time, and I just didn't know what was wrong. Just wonder if he's okay. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's. Uh, why don't you give him a call at the shop now? As soon as you get off the show, ask for Pete. Okay. Um, okay. Kevin, this this one here 
goes back to when you first started with Bruce during the CDL of it days, long, many years ago. Yeah. You guys were talking at that time about doing a data list of good shops. Could you do that as a group on the trucking tribe? And call it like, I don't know, shop warriors or something. And at the beginning, when you put in your recommendation of a shop that you've been to, you could type in that they specialize in Volvo engine or eating forward transmission specialize, whatever. I think that would be a really good benefit. We can, and and we'll look at that. Now we're merging the two sites and getting them more organized, and we have some tools we could work with. We we could do that. Here's here's one of the things I just have to be aware of when I do stuff like this. I, people have wanted list of good carriers, good brokers, good shops. It's a lot of work to maintain them, and what you open yourself up to is no matter how much you vet these shops somebody's going to have a bad experience and they're going to go off about it. You cost me $20,000 to go into that lousy shop. And please come on. We're trying to help you here. It doesn't mean that just because we put them on the list, we can guarantee that you're not going to have a problem. So that's part of what we focus on and why we haven't created lists like this, because a lot of times I see it cause more problems than anything else. Well, I didn't think of it that way. I kind of wondered that because the, I, the guy that I use here in Columbus for general work, <laughs> you can tell the guys when they walk in the door, you can tell who's going to do it. So he tells them a higher price because he's been doing it forever as a service right. writer. He knows what this stuff costs. If it's an $800 job, he tells them 15 and then when they come in and they start yelling, discount, discount, discount. Well, they get it for 12. <laughs> they'd have kept their mouth shut. They'd have got it done for eight. So here's here, here's what I, I just have to be careful about what I recommend. Because it, it only takes a couple yeah, of, of negatives to all of a sudden people stop trusting what I'm recommending. You know, I, I'm going through this with, with like Bulletproof and Dave Asprey. I used to follow Dave Asprey closely. I've gotten so many good ideas from him over the years. And in the last two years, I stopped completely. I had two or three recommendations from him that were just awful. I don't think he, I don't even know if he was really involved in it anymore or if it's a program like this where you start these lists and then they don't get maintained and things change over time. But I I will no longer look at his recommendations the way I used to. And I just have to be careful of that. Yeah, you can mess up your credibility and not even really do anything. <laughs> uh, really. I mean, we're just trying to maintain a list, and there's no way I can go out and vet every one of these shops. So I then I have right. to take somebody else's word for it. I, I, yeah, I, I can't risk that. All right, Bob. I just thought I'd ask you. Have a good yeah, one. It, you're welcome. And, and I'm still going to look at, you know, is there a way we could have a group do it where it really is more of the group recommending things instead of me directly? But if it's on our website, then it's always going to come back to me. So I just have to be careful of that. Let's uh, let's go to Arizona. Sam, welcome to the program. I've heard a beep, but not the name. This is Sam. It is. Okay. I got a couple of comments on the previous callers. Uh, the first one is 
water and fuel message on the dashboard. I've got uh, 2014 Kenworth with ISX 15. About eight months ago, I've had the same message. So it's not the same problem as his. His is probably just the sensor. But I've had a failed injector cups and a little bigger issue. But yes, I was getting the message water in fuel my dashboard. And now, I was able to pull out the sample from the, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's a place we can cross-contaminate coolant and fuel, the injector cups. Yes, what I'm saying is the message, it will read uh, antifreeze as water. The sensor will do that. And that's I what I was wondering, yeah. What I've had, yeah, it, uh, well, that's at least what I've got. Maybe it, they've changed it, something on a newer model. And after I, show. After I answer, ask the question, it kind of dawned on me. It would seem to be kind of ignorant to put a sensor in there that wouldn't detect coolant. Yeah, yeah. Because there I are mine tested in a local lab, and it came out. Uh, yeah, there there are several places, depending on the truck and what components you have, that we can cross contaminate these. Yeah, yeah. So that's an ISX issue for sure. Um, I called you guys uh, when I had that issue about eight months ago. You didn't really know about, never heard of the rings. I was able to put the rings in. I did the job myself. Uh, you need a special tool, about 300 bucks from Cummins, and the rings were about 200. And I solved the issue by putting the rings on. It's really not that big of a job. I would encourage everybody who can put an injector in to do the job themselves. Uh, and it's about 60,000 miles or so, uh, still running good. There's no issues. Good. So I had another well, another comment on uh, from a few weeks ago. I believe Paul was calling about the disc brakes issues and the pricing. This yeah. track and the disc brakes are so much better than 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 uh, drum brakes. I would, if I have a choice, I would never go back to drum brakes. And they are not that complicated to work on if you give yourself enough time. So you're not stuck on the road. I've replaced shoes, and they last so much longer than on a drum brake. So I've replaced shoes after 800,000 miles, and it's such a simple job. Once the wheel is off, it's a five-minute job, really. And then the pricing, I've had an issue where my uh, one of the locks, one of the calipers locked up on me on the side of the road. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a quick fix for that. I don't know if I can say that on the air, but, yeah, if sure. you one of the airlines to get you home, it's... Uh, 10 cents, 10 cents is all you need to put inside an airline. It fits almost perfectly. You just need to uh, pile it up a little bit. It fits in and it stops the air from going in and you can get yourself home. And on the way home, I was able to shop around and uh, calipers run between $1,700 and $2,000. But I was able to find one in a local fleet ride for $580. Did the job myself, took me just under two hours. Really not that big of a deal, and it can be a lot less expensive than $10,000 as they want in the big shops. There you go. There's a MacGyver fix. I like that one. That's all I had. All, all right. To you guys. Thank you for everything. You're welcome. All right. Uh, well, I just realized we're out of calls. Well, uh, wow. Yeah, that almost never happens. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we chased him off with the whole drooping thing, I'm sure. Uh, not this again. <laughs> I'm a firm believer. Uh, you got to stop. <laughs> really? Oh, man. All right. So uh, we'll wait a couple minutes. If anybody has any words of wisdom while we're waiting, go ahead. 855-560-9900. Uh, 
950-3835. Jump in and join us or uh, you're going to give me an easy day. I can move on to other projects. Anybody? Oh, here's come. They're coming in. Um, anybody have anything interesting while we're waiting? The Western Star wiring is pretty well done, which was pretty fun. Oh, uh, yeah. So you told last, us about that week. one last week. Bob, yeah. No, it's pretty well all cut out. I got it all loomed up now. Everything. All the, the wiring all worked the first time. I broke my rule a little bit. I always tell people that you shouldn't like heat shrink and, you know, loom everything before you test it. But I kind of did by accident, mostly. I mean, I kind of started looming and I was like, oh, I should test this first. <laughs> but, <laughs> I should no, take my own it advice. All worked the first time. Yeah, I thought about that as I was doing it. I was like, I should really do this before I finish buttoning this all up. But it all worked, so now we're on to fixing ABS issues. So that's the next thing is fighting with Wabco to get yeah. me a configuration file so I can tell the ABS controller to stop looking for the transmission. But so if, It's amazing if, how hard to do that. I, I just thought of something. I need to get back there. Um, if you can fix ABS issues, I've had an ABS light on my coach forever and nobody knows how to fix it. Well, I'm sure it's probably not that difficult. Well, um, I'll, I'll bring it to you. Yeah, so... We, we got the ABS software, and there's actually a form I was going to talk to you, Eric, about just, I think it's a pretty easy thing just to become like a, a service partner for like Wabco. I don't know exactly what that's all entailed, but uh, yeah. So definitely but, something we should look but, into. The, the annoying thing is, I don't know how dealers do it because we have the same software that the dealer has as far as just Wabco software goes, <clears throat> not Bendix. But I should be able just to type in the VIN and what ECU part number it has, and it should spit me on a configuration file. And it keeps telling me, oh, this VIN's not supported, this VIN's not supported. I'm like, this is like a 2012 truck. Like, if you stop supporting 2012, like, I don't know if, you know, uh, yeah, what are, what are people supposed to do? That's crazy. There was another ABS issue in the shop where <clears throat> it's actually the ABS controller that was bad. Like, that's a very rare thing that the actual module itself is bad. But we tried to get one, and they... Our Freightliner, what was it, MTD? Mm -hmm. they, they told us that it was obsolete. I'm like, so what's this guy supposed to do? Because I think you need ABS for, like, DOT, right? Like, they check that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. What did we ever figure out with that, Eric? We are trying to outsource a used one at this moment. Just we trying to get one off eBay. Yeah. I mean, this truck's not that terribly old. It's like a 2003 or something, isn't it? Uh, it's right around there. I'm just looking for it here real fast. But it's not that old at all. But this is the second one we've had to outsource used. Yeah. Didn't you just do another one? Yeah, I had to get one for Raymond Kirk. That's and, right. Uh, I fixed his old one. I still need to send that back to him. But, yeah, it's it's annoying that the, it seems like the AVS companies, I don't I know just specifically with Wabco, is they seem to not support, you know, 2010 and older trucks. That's just crazy. In an industry where we keep trucks a whole lot longer than that, there's a lot of pre-2010 trucks on the road. I wouldn't expect them to say, if, I could say, see if it was a 1985 truck exactly. or like a 1990. Right. right. I'm like, okay, it's 30 years old. I can see it being obsolete. But to, like a 2012? Like tw 2010s ah. are modern trucks. I know. I, I just kind of threw that number out there, but that's just kind of what it seems like. Anytime right. that yeah. I try to look at information ones it's not too bad but any kind of anything kind of 15 well, why, years or older it's, it's hard while you're talking about that we'll uh we're gonna bring bill in because it sounds like he wants to talk about that too bill in alabama welcome <laughs> how y'all doing today hey 
Um, I wrote on a forum like last week, um, issue with my ABS because I got a 19 Freightliner Cascadia. It's got a Wabco system. And once in a while, my AB light, will, my whole light system would come on. It says ABS system not working. Uh, please seek service. So, so it only does it once in a blue moon. So it did it like yesterday. And now I got the code. And it's six two seven eleven, and then I googled it because, and it says, well, the software basically needs to be an upgrade because there was a service bulletin from Freightliner. Now I got the Webco software, I, like I got the rest of the software to fix just about everything because I like to do it myself. Now mm-hmm. I got a question: when you update, because you got to flash it to update it, and then you got to recalibrate it. And then it says you got to drive your truck straight for a while and then take a turn. Does that, I mean, what I'm trying to figure out is how much of a straight line of a drive you got to do. And it's because it's all new territory. And I figure somebody in the electronical department at Pittsburgh Power can, like, steer me in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's specifically a distance that you have to travel straight. I think it just wants to get enough data points going straight, enough data points with the steering sensor turning left, turning right. I don't think that there's a specific distance. I think it just auto calibrates over time. I don't think you want to jump in the truck and then just, you know, swerve, but I think just driving normally, I think it would calibrate itself. I may be wrong, but I I wouldn't think that you would need to, I can't think you would build a system like that. Yeah, I'm gonna take a crack at it this weekend. I mean, I got the service, I got the step-by-step instructions, so I'm gonna take a crack at it, and hopefully they'll fix it. But other than that, this, this, I've been Pittsburgh Power fuel additive since day one. I had this truck, man. I'm pushing 475,000 miles, not a lick of problems. Well, I will be coming to you guys when it. I come 500,000. I'm gonna be coming seeing you guys to get the new. Um, damper, the overhead done, and my filters clean. But other than that, I do appreciate you guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida. Tony, welcome. Let me try that again. Tony, are you there? Yeah, I heard the beep. I, I just didn't hear my name yet. Uh, Tony, there? Tony, 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 Tony. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 here. Is anybody there? We are. I can unplug from the computer. Maybe that's it. We're we're good. Go ahead. No. Um. Yep. Still dedicated on the catalyst with this Packard engine. Don't see uh you know a- any results, but I'm glad you know I'm glad that I'm doing the right thing, and maybe that is why my engine still only got the manifold bolts missing and not the entire you know deconstruction. Uh, if you remember yesterday, we do, uh, you did tell me to, um, discuss my options with them on the, the manifold bolts. We can talk about that. Uh, if not, I can, I can just uh, tear into brokers, take your pick. Let's do the manifold today. Well, tell us about the manifold bolt. Peterbilt has found, uh, two bottom manifold bolts broken on a pack car and I am getting a like a belt uh, chirping and, and slipping noise, and they say it's from that. All right. First, the manifold bolts. So we're talking exhaust manifold? Yes, by the turbo. Yeah, that comes out hmm. on the right side. 
there is smoke from the uh, pre-tube that goes into the emissions. I get smoke. Well, Kevin before that said it's it's down by the exhaust. You know, you know check your check your uh, pipes. I do see smoke, but and I don't get any blow by uh, revving it up in those holes. I don't feel anything. Um, if you're still there, he he said to check. Oh, okay. I'll, I'm going to reject that call that came in. He said to check with you about rebuilding or getting a cast yeah. iron manifold. If you're still no. there, Bruce, it, he was going to have to have the manifold replaced, at least taken off to get to these bolts and fix them. And I said, well, first off, he doesn't trust the shop technically that he's at. But I said, if you're going to take a manifold off and have to put it back on, let's get um, ported and coated manifold. And I didn't know if you guys could do one for that engine. I told him he might have to go buy a manifold and send it to you. So told him to check with you. Yeah. It's a pack car, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Eric, do you know if we have the uh, pack car manifolds or not? I don't think we have any here on stock right now. We're still waiting on them, but they are available. Is it a first or second gen pack car? 16 year, probably first. Does this one I have like that bellows pipe coming out like right right above or below, right out the front of where the turbo mounts? I'm thinking it's a second gen. Not sure. I think first gen would be like the unipump ones. And then uh, I think second gen is like a the common rail version. Yeah, the first gen has like that 90 degree elbow that comes out right where the turbo mounts. The second gen just has like a fl- like a straight with a flange lip on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Packar wasn't very yeah. old. It was like one of the first trucks years that where they offered a Packar engine. It was very new uh, at the time. Uh, I don't I don't know how fast they went into second gen, but it's a uh, actually a 15 model year. I bought it at the end of 15. It's a 15. That'll be a first gen then. But yeah, I think we can get a manifold, right? Yeah. Yeah, we can get we can one, order one. There you go. Tony, what else? Okay. Oh, that's about it. I had called in and they said, no, we don't do it there. So what would be the plan? Uh, they, okay. Okay, yeah, just I'd put it in somewhere else and get, get their manifold. Is that what it is? Yeah, give we, us a call. <laughs> give us a call and talk to our parts department. Ask for somebody in parts and order the manifold. There you go. Um, and why is it uh, advantageous to to replace the manifold like that? Okay, better, since we're taking it off. Okay. Better airflow. All right. So with the ported ceramic coated manifold, you drop 125 degrees exhaust temp. You uh, gain 20% more flow, and you have quicker response out of the turbo. I'll take it. And then what have it shipped um, shipped to wherever I'm getting it work, or, I imagine, right? Yeah, or you could come to our shop. Or come to your shop. I did go out here and I'm looking at this engine. I have no idea uh, what parts it. It's got some sort of U-shaped tube sitting on this manifold. But um, in any case, uh, Kevin, I did take the number of a, of a mechanic at that shop and I got his personal number. Speaking of building relationships, and I am going to call him to see if he still works on trucks on his own. Do you want me to call him up now? We can talk to him. We won't tell him we're on the air. 
I don't get it. I'm just kidding. We won't do that. (laughs) Oh, 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 because of Pittsburgh power. Well, he is kind of closer, but I'm sure, I'm sure they don't want a pack car in their shop. They just, they'll just sell me the part and be happy to have someone else work on it. (laughs) We love, we don't have a problem. We don't have a problem working on a pack car. See, I love it. I told you that last week. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, hard working, uh, trying to catch this chess game while listening to the program, so I'm getting bits and pieces. Sorry. No, Tony, I could tell. You were very distracted there, so we're going to cut you loose, and we're going to move on. Great call, though. Let's go to West Virginia. Randy, welcome to the program. Guys? Hey, I want to talk about cruise control. Bruce told me one time, the better better fuel mileage, you don't use your cruise control, because when you're top of a hill... Let off. Well, this new freight ladder I've got, when I set the cruise and I just almost to the top of a hill, it cuts back to 500 RPMs and lets it coast on over the hill. So do you know, I mean, it sounds to me like you have the GPS enhanced and it knows the terrain. Is that what you've got? Well, I doubt that because that, that probably costs extra money and I doubt my company would have ever done that. It's well, got a thing on the, on the dash, a plus or a minus five, five miles an hour. Well, I'm wondering how it knows. Is it, is it doing this after the it, crest of the hill or before the crest of the hill? Just as I crest. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like it's just before. I mean, like if barely it, before. If it's just before, it somehow has to know that crest is coming. That's kind of what I'm getting to. That's what I'm thinking. It it, it was about eight years ago, I think, I heard we were getting these smart cruise systems that used GPS data to understand the terrain. And if we get there, and I'm sure that when they first really start using this, it's not going to work the way we want it to. But uh, ultimately, that could get us to a place where you could use cruise through the hills. But we're saying now don't. You can get much better fuel economy I, I, off your foot. Um, but they they have been talking I, about this enhanced cruise for almost a decade now. I think Joe has Kevin, that. Kevin, you know who put, uh, put the factories onto that, don't you? No. You and I. Oh. <laughs> you and I started talking <laughs> you, about you it years right. ago. You know, it's like running indirect. Here was the yeah. advice they, they were giving about cruise, and it got a lot of people confused. They were looking at the statistics that about 90% of the time traveling across the country, you're on fairly level ground. And cruise control will usually do better than the average driver on level ground because it's just more consistent. You don't have somebody with their foot on the throttle moving you know, it's nice and consistent, but it's the opposite. As soon as that thing hits a grade, all it wants to do is put all kinds of fuel to it because it's dumb. It just knows it has to maintain the speed. So you and I started talking. Well, sure, if you if you know you're on a nice level ground, go ahead and throw the cruise on. It's probably not going to be a big deal. As soon as you start getting into hills, even little rolling hills, you should be off the cruise and onto your foot. And and. You're right, right that that, uh, that that's what they're trying to overcome now. They realize that by telling everybody just put it on cruise, they were probably hurting them more than they were helping them. Well, every time I every time it does that, I think of Bruce. 
<laughs> so I think I am a lot. <laughs> there you go. Every, every time I see the number 58 and I'm going down the highway in my speedometer, I think of Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, one more thing, Kevin. You saw my campers yesterday and putting a bed in and raising it up in a, in a, like a Ford Transit van. Okay. My son, my son built a Ford Transit van into a motorhome and he did that. He put a queen size bed in there. And it's sideways. It, it doesn't, the queen size, they, they sleep like, you know, uh, sideways in that van. They don't sleep long ways. Well, so that queen size bed uh, is a perfect fit. Yeah, and, uh, and underneath it, you would not believe how much. He's got this uh, great big raft that he uses, and that raft will go under. Of course, he takes the air out of it and everything, but it will fold up and go underneath that bed. Yeah, almost all, much room they are. almost all the beds are oriented that way. The difference, though, is in a lot of the conversions, Pleasure Way, and almost all of them, they keep the rear folding seat in, and it's so low to the ground, there's very little storage under there. And then you end up with a ton of airspace above you that's not being used. And the whole point of these things, you got to use right. every bit of space possible. So I actually have a neighbor. He took his treasure in and... Good friend of mine, he just had his over here the other day. I was helping him because he didn't have jack stands, so he came over and we were taking his wheels off because he was painting them. Uh, he built his himself. He did a beautiful job on it, and he did the really high bed permanent with a ton of storage under. I, I like that setup much better. If I were to do anything to ours, yeah, I would take out that back seat and I would build a higher platform bed. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable how much space is under there. And then the other thing and I he talked put a about seat. yesterday, Bruce, that the, the Pleasure Way Sprinter we have, the van, the Mercedes. Yes, yes. The rear seat is what, so it's like a jackknife seat. It, it folds up to a seat with seat belts and all mm -hmm. that, and then it folds down flat, and you put a mattress topper on it or just sleep on it the way it is. The problem is I, I you can't ride in that seat. It is the worst ride I have ever, It's it's like three or four feet behind the rear wheels with the with the duels and the ride is horrible back there okay so is this spring ride or air ride they're spring yeah. uh they must be I'm you know, thinking i've been under there a bunch of times they must be coils never really paid attention to the suspension honestly kind of crowded back there you got the you generator know, when you're riding no. No, you can get four wheel drive, but the uh, standard is rear. Well, I tell you what, my son built that transit van and he didn't have it. Uh, it took him a long time to build it, but I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. In his first trip out, somebody, he stopped at a rest area, somebody asked him if he could look at him and he let him look at it and they already made him $5,000 for it, just like that. He, he said it? he didn't want to build another one. No, he didn't sell it. No, he didn't sell it. He's, they use it. Uh, his wife makes uh, heirloom baskets by hand, and uh, they go to festivals and stuff like that sell them baskets. So he, uh, he, he wouldn't sell it. But y'all have a good day. I really appreciate y'all. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Thanks. Let's, All right, see you. let's go to... Utah. Tom, welcome. Yeah, hello. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, so 
I drive a Penske Freightliner DB15, new one, uh, and it uh, it has a speed limiter, 70 miles an hour on cruise control. So I've been trying to figure out if, let's say you're going 70 miles an hour, and if you pressed on the, the gas pedal or the fuel pedal anyway, what does that do? What does that do? Um, would that change your mileage at all? I mean, uh, uh, is it dumping more fuel in there even though it's limited to 70 miles an hour? Do you guys have any idea? So you mean like you're running up against the limiter of 70 miles an hour, let's just say at half throttle, and you're wondering, does it right. waste more fuel if you just push it all the way down? Yes. No. Nope. You can, uh, once you reach a speed limiter, it doesn't matter if you're at 10% throttle or um, 100% throttle. It's going to be basically limited to uh, that fueling quantity that it takes to go 70. So, like, if you were going downhill, the fuel quantity would be really low, right? Because it doesn't take a lot of yes. fuel to go downhill. If you're going uphill, it's just going to go to its max at, that it takes to do 70 miles an hour. So, yeah, to answer your question, no, it doesn't waste any more fuel. You can just go to a breakfast if you want. Fantastic. That's what I needed to know. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Okay. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, Brent, you're on. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, guys. I, I got a, uh, I'm, I'm rebuilding a D-Deck 4 Detroit, and I'm, try, I'm in the parts gathering phase, and I cannot locate a crank gear. And I want to know how critical is replacing the crank gear. It's got 1.75 million on it. Crank gear, as in like own wheel? Uh, well, the it would be the the gear on the front of the crank that you know attaches to the idler gear, the bull gear, and all the other all the other gears in the front cover. We typically just do a visual inspection on it. I mean, if there's anything wrong with it, you should be able to see that. Yeah, if it has really excessive wear or something like that, then yeah, yeah you would want to teeth or like knife edged or anything, you know, like the, or yeah. cracks, things like yeah. that. But yeah, I think you're probably okay. Good so if I can't find one, I can, I, I can run the old one as long as it's not sharp, you know, as long as the gears aren't worn sharp. Right. Yeah. You're not going to get a lot of wear in that part of the engine. So it shouldn't really be worn down at all, even at that many miles. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was my question because I'm 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 in the parts gathering phase. I can find all the other gears, and I I have most of them coming. Um, although there was a, an issue with the cam gear, they asked about on the cam gear. They asked me if I had a, a two bolt cam or a three bolt cam, and I went out and looked at the new cam that I'm putting in it, and it only has one bolt on it. It's got the center <laughs> hole and then the alignment pin. So I don't I don't know what they're talking about as far as how many bolt holes are in the cam gear, but um, that I, I if I guess if the the crank gear isn't you know as long as there's no major wear on the crank gear there if if there's no major wear on the cam gear I can rerun the cam gear. Yeah, properly. I mean, they sh you should be able to give them the cam part number, and then maybe they can look it up that way. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah, because I just picked up the cam uh, Friday. And... Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. You're welcome. Thanks for the right. call. And it looks like we are going to wrap this up today. Calls were light today, but uh, 
lot of good stuff. So we uh, will do it again next week. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. Anything you guys want to close with today? I'm good. Hello. All right. I think we covered a lot today. So. I think we did. It was a good day. So we'll all uh, we'll all get on with our days, and we'll do it again next week. All right. Uh, tomorrow we've got Destination Health. Uh, no guests. I may have a theme. We'll see. I'm going to work on something later today. I've got some thoughts. Uh, we'll also have our Destination Health space on Twitter afterwards. Uh, you can see that's already scheduled. So if you go over to Twitter, you can see and set a reminder for yourself. Uh, Thursday, I'll be joined by David Owen from Nastic. That should be a great show. We've got a lot going on with them. We'll do a trucking free-for-all on Twitter on Thursday. I'm really trying to work out a, a show with uh, a group of owner-operators who are fighting some broker issues and I have some disagreements with, so that show might get a little interesting. We'll see. Uh, Friday, we'll be trucking technology and efficiency uh, and also a Twitter space on that as well. So a lot coming up this week. We'll see you there. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.